Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently. So that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this. 36-year-old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country. And they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like. Some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. Three, two, one. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. About your kind. And so, and so, and so, and so, and so, and so, and so. pigs i repeat we have pigs so the day came whenever it was time to make a decision on when and where we were going to get these pigs and so ronnie and ismail did some reconnaissance and they found a few people that had pigs which claimed to were for sale but they had one guy that said yeah i've got some pigs for sale and then ronnie would, would go over there and they have like one male who's half grown like a boar and he comes back to me, he's like, well, I found one that's like half grown in a male boar. And I would say, that's not going to do us any good. So I'd send him back on his way. He'd go find somebody else. That had no- well, I got three females. And we originally said that we wanted all four males. And we're going to castrate them all. We're going to butcher them all or sell them alive. But they got sick of looking. So then they decided that they thought that getting some female pigs would be more profitable because the pigs could have babies and they could sell the pigs. And so they found one guy that's willing to sell them three females and one male for 50 bucks a piece. So I said, okay, that's fine. Whatever you guys want to do, let's just do it. Let's get this project going. So we agreed that we'd buy those. And so they came to me about 10 o'clock in the morning after they had gone to look at the three females and one male they said, okay, we need, to, we need to take him the money. He's going to sell him. And I said, he's going to sell him like between now and two hours from now? Because I was getting ready to leave to go somewhere. They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful little baby pigs. So I said, okay. So I gave him the money. They rode their motorcycle to the pig farmer guy, gave him the 200 bucks, and he's to hold on the pigs so we can pick them up. But I made sure that this is what they want to do. I said, you sure you're going to want to mess with baby pigs and piglets and mama pigs and all that? And the, Feed bill's going to go through the roof. Are you sure you want to do this? And they said, oh, yeah, we'll make more money. It'll be better. I said, okay, 
Let's do it. So they take him the money. And I told them, I said, look, we can either go this afternoon at about three o'clock or I can go tomorrow morning. And they said, let's go today, three o'clock. I said, okay. So we set out to Rebus. And we wanted to get all the feed and everything before we got the pigs because we didn't really have anything to put the pigs in other than the back of my truck. So we figured it would not be a good idea driving around Rivas with three live pigs in the back of the truck. So we go to Rivas, and the most entertaining part of the entire trip was riding in the truck with Ronnie and Ismail for about an hour and a half. What I'm about to tell you is 100% truth. So we get in the truck, and we're driving there, and they're kind of talking to each other a little bit. I can tell they're kind of laughing, like having a good time. You know, got to go on a little adventure in the middle of a work day. And I hear Ronnie start, like, talking to Ismail, like, as every girl that we drive past. They're, like, checking her out. And I felt like I was in the truck with two 14-year-old boys. They would say to each other, oh, man, look at her. Look at that one right there. Oh, yeah, she's hot. Oh, yeah, look at her. And they would just giggle and laugh and laugh. And I thought to myself, I haven't seen this behavior in a long, long time. But it sounded like two teenage boys in a vehicle that they had stolen. And there was no parents in the car to tell them what they could or could not say. And so I just laughed. And we would pass a less desirable looking lady. And they would always point to to me and say, oh, there's yours. That one's your girlfriend right there. And I'm thinking, man, I could do nothing but laugh. But I felt like I was back in seventh grade. It was very funny. So we get to Rivas, and the first stop was the feed store. And the feed store is in their market area. And these markets are, you know, you can kind of drive up to them, and then the roads get so congested with, like, vendors and just crap and people and bicycles and motorcycles that you eventually get to a point where the road just kind of, like, funnels down into nothing. And there will be cars parked all along the way, all the way up till you get down to this, like, point of zero-ness. And then once you get there, you pretty much have to back out. So they're telling me to go down these roads, and I can see it. Like I can spot these roads that just get narrower and narrower, and they, and they close in on you. And eventually, you're hosed. So I told them, I said, no, it's going to close down. They're like, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So they talked me into going down the road. We're going down there, and it's, I can feel it closing in. I'm starting to get a little nervous. My blood's boiling, and I'm like, man, I do not want to have to back all the way out of here. And, you know, as we're driving through... All the Nicaraguans can look, and they're just like a gringo truck sticks out like a sore thumb. And they're probably thinking, what is this tourist doing driving down this road where you're not supposed to be driving? This is the middle of our market. So we're going down there, and sure enough, we get to a turn that was so congested with people and crap that I couldn't make the turn. So Ronnie jumps out and starts directing traffic like he's clearing the intersection for the president. <laughs> he was like pointing at people, telling them to move, telling them to get out of the way. And sure enough, they complied, and they all moved out of the way and made a little path, and I drove on through. And he got in the truck, and I was high-fiving him. And, of course, Ismail was giving him hell about something. I don't remember, but he was busting his balls. I'm thinking, man, I just need to take him everywhere I go because things just work out when Ronnie's around. He didn't even have his cape on. So we get to the feed store. We buy two sacks of feed, 100 pounds each. I think the bill was about $50, something like that. And so I've got a little spreadsheet going with all of our costs, and I haven't shown him the spreadsheet yet on the computer. Because I'm going to wait till it gets a little bit further along and show them how much feed we're going through and how much it's going to cost us. Right now, I project that we're going to lose, well, if we end up slaughtering the females and not producing piglets, which I suspect is going to happen. I feel like these guys are going to get sick of messing with these pigs. But so if we do slaughter all four of them 
in about six months, I suspect we'll lose about $100 a pig. So after we got the feed, we went to another little store, and I don't even know what the name of this type place would be in English, but it's a little place that makes cast concrete products. And so what they do is they take a styrofoam or some kind of material that's real easy to work with, and they shape it exactly how they want it. And then they put like layers and layers and layers of cement on top, and it ends up being able to they make this durable product that will last forever. And a lot of the, their sinks, their wash basins, are all different shapes and sizes. And a lot of people will have these right outside their house for clothes washing and that kind of stuff. They don't have electric washing machines. So anyway, so a little place that makes these things. Well, they also make, uh, they call them pilas. I don't know what the literal translation for that is, but what I can gather in this sense, it's a concrete bowl that you feed pigs out of. We were just going to get some plastic tubs, but I was worried that the pigs would knock them over, spill them, put holes in them, etc. So we got these little concrete buckets. I think the bill there was like 20 bucks. And then we were on our way to buy the live pigs. So the pig farmer was just outside of San Juan del Sur. So we had about a 30, 45 minute ride from Rivas back into town. And the entire way, Ronnie and Ismail were trying to convince me that I need to strike up a conversation and take the pig farmer's wife out for dinner. And I mean, I'm, I'm th- I think they were kidding, but they seemed so serious. And then they proceeded to tell me how good looking she was, how cool she was, and how cool it was that she raised pigs. And I said, well, is it her husband who raised the pigs, or does she raise the pigs? And they said, no, no, she raises the pigs. Her husband's a mechanic, and he's really, really mean. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, why do you want to set me up with a, a girl who's married, number one? And number two, why would you set me up with a married girl who has a mean husband? I want nothing to do with that. So we get to the pig farmer's house and of course the farmer is out working and the pig farmer's wife shows up and she was about six foot four 240 looked like she could have played linebacker for the texans and she comes out in these big mud work boots and shorts that were way too short and a shirt that was way too tight and i just saw them snickering and i was like man i wanted to hit them in the back of the head they were just laughing they were watching me and they saw my reaction when i looked at her and looked back at them, and they just laugh and put their shirts over their faces. And I was like, man, I'm going to have to figure out a way to get these guys back because they're, they're trying to bust on me, but I'm not going to get it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outsmart them. So anyway, so we go down there. We pick the pigs out. She's like, which ones do you want? And I'm like, I don't, I don't care, whatever. They all look the same to me. Give me. You said we had three females and one male, so give them to me. So she's like, what do you got to put them in? And I kind of look at Ismail and Ronnie. I said, what do we have to put them in? <laughs> and they kind of shrugged their shoulders. So luckily, the pig farmer's wife donated four old feed sacks for us to use. So one by one, we scooped the pigs up and put them headfirst in the sack and then tied the sack up. And they, they went wee, wee, wee for about half the ride home. After about 10 minutes, they quit wee, wee, wee. And, and I was like, they did? And they said, no, 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 they're fine. They're fine. Sure enough, they were fine. So we got them back to the pen, turned them loose, gave them some food, and they're good to go. About a couple of days later, I said, Ronnie, we need to castrate the male. And Ronnie goes, no, 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 we're going to breed them. And I said, no, we, we can't breed them. That's the brother, and those are the sisters. And he said, no, that's okay, it's fine. And I said, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. And he just looked at me, and he goes, if they were wild pigs, how would they know? And I did not have an answer. I know there's one out there. I'm sure the mother runs off the babies, but I was like, that's a good point. But it's not in the wild. They're in the backyard, so we get to pick what happens to them. So 
Luckily, the nighttime cuidador extraordinaire, Felipe, knew somebody who was a traveling via motorcycle veterinarian. Although I don't suspect he was a real veterinarian. I think this is a country boy who's castrated some pigs in his life. So he shows up about 11 o'clock the next morning, and we hold the pig, and we do the deed. But I was surprised at how clean this guy was. Like, he wiped everything down with iodine and then alcohol, like, you know, wore rubber gloves, disinfected everything. I was expecting somebody to take a pocket knife out and just go to cutting. But this guy did it at a really, really sharp little tiny razor that he used. And, you know, I could tell he made the incisions as small as he could and took his time. It took about 30 minutes from the time he showed up to the time he left. He sprayed the pig down with some anti-infection spray. And when he got wrapped up, he loaded everything up, hopped on his bike, threw his backpack on, I said, how much did I owe you? And he said, $10. And I said, here you go, buddy. And I gave him 15 I think. And I was expecting him just to keep the change. Perfectly happy with $15 house call to castrate a pig. And the next night when Felipe showed up, he gave me the change. He gave me the $5. And I said, no, Felipe, that was for him. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll give it to him. And I bet you Felipe will actually give it to him. So then that night I made sure to cook Felipe a gigantic because he connected us with the castrator man. So that's the pig update. They seem pretty happy. They like to wallow in the mud. And I'm getting pretty close to getting them to eat out of my hand. Although i got to be careful. I try not to spend too much time out there hanging out with them because I don't want to get attached to them. I sort of got attached to my high school pig. I mean, on a scale from 0 to 100, like 100 being, no, don't kill it, I'll put it in my yard, I would think I was probably like a 30% attached. So... I named them, but I'm not going to name them in a way that I know which one's which. They just There's four of them out there, a male name and three female names. And it doesn't really matter which one you pick because they don't know the difference. So the names are, the male is Adolf Hitler, and the three females are Rosie O'Donnell, Oprah, and Hillary. And I really don't care if that offends anyone because it's a joke. That's the problem these days is that people get so offended by things that they're not even willing to laugh at jokes anymore. If you don't think that's just a little bit funny or don't see why someone would think it's funny, I'm sorry. But speaking of sense of humor and finding things funny, uh, riding in the truck with those two guys was hilarious to the point of me crying at laughing at them most of the time. And I think they like to put on a show. But one of the rants that Ronnie went on was just how much Ismail's wife beats him. <laughs> And that Ismail has to go home every day around lunchtime so that he can eat lunch and get his daily beating. And every time Ismail's not around, Ronnie says, oh, he's at, he's at home getting whooped on. And it was just so funny that he went on and on about it. And so after kind of paying attention to these guys, I thought back on what a friend of mine told me who's lived in Guatemala for about 25 years. And he said, man, their sense of humor is just not nearly the same as ours. Like they find things funny that we, that we found funny when we were kids. He said their level of immaturity in regards to their sense of humor is just a lot lower. And I had never noticed that until being around these guys. The stuff that they're laughing at is just, is just not that funny. But they think it's hilarious. Uh, I was sitting outside doing something at like a patio table. I was sitting there and there was a half-eaten dog bone, like a rawhide bone on the table. And Ismail was leaving to go home. And Ronnie tells, tells me, he's like, hey, Tell Ismail um, not to forget his dog bone. And so I look up and I say in Spanish, I'm like, Ismail, don't forget your lunch. And I hold up the half-eaten dog bone and they both just fell out laughing. I don't know. I don't think that's that funny. 
but they thought it was hilarious. So I know I've mentioned before the gym where I go work out is really, 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 really hot inside. It's just a big steel building with corrugated tin and these little teeny tiny windows that don't do much. Well, before, well, up until recently, there were fans in there, big shop fans, three feet diameter roll around fans. And so you would just plug them in wherever you're working out and put them blowing on you and it would cool you off a little bit. Well, in typical Nicaraguan fashion, they have now removed those fans because they're consuming too much electricity. And I just don't understand that. I don't see, and the owner is a gringo. Like he's a white guy. But from what I understand, he's been here for a long time. So I'm wondering if the Nicaraguan desire to preserve electricity is rubbing off on him. But I thought to myself, I wonder how much it really costs to run five fans just sporadically. They don't all run full-time. I could understand if they all ran full-time, but people plug them in wherever they're working out, and they unplug them when they're done. They don't just blow all day. So I'm kind of worried, and here's why. Not only because it's super hot in there now, it's almost unbearable, but I'm worried because that tells me that the guy's operating on really slim margins. I can't see, even considering how expensive electricity is here, I can't see fans that run sporadically over the course of seven hours in a day costing more than $100 a month, maybe 200 And so if that gym is worried about $200 a month, they may be close to shutting the doors. And that would suck because it's the only gym in town. Well, there's supposedly another one, but they're never open. So I'm going to start scheming and figuring out a way to try to recruit people to keep the gym open or just to find some buddies and buy it if it closes down and make it just a private gym. So if anything develops on that, I'll let you know. I always give examples or talk about differences in the way that people run businesses here or the way that Nicaraguans specifically run businesses here. And so I got another example. Although my blood pressure's cut in half since I moved down here, it's situations like these that just make it spike and make me remember what it was like working back home. So we're doing a little marketing push and we're trying to get flyers in hotels. And so this has been going on for about th- three or four months now. All we need is flyer holders and flyers. And we're on about month four. So it took about a month and a half to get 50 flyer holders made, little wood flyer holders. I think they were like $5 a piece. Then we get the flyers made. And the first place that makes the flyers made them, did a crappy job. We needed to get them and get them out there. It took them like three weeks to make, I don't know, 300 flyers or something. So they made them. They were crap. We put them out there. We redesigned the flyer. I said, okay, give us like a week and a half. I said, okay. Week and a half goes by. Where's our flyers? Um, we're having problems with our printer. We'll have them to you next week. Okay, week goes by. Where's our flyers? We're still having problems with our printer. Um, should be three or four days. We'll have them done. Okay. Where's our flyers? Well, now we're having some software problems, and we're not sure what's going to happen, but we'll, as soon as we can get to them, we'll get them printed. Okay. Where's our flyers? We've got them printed. We're just having a hard time folding them because they're all trifold flyers. So it's just taking a long time for us to get them folded. Okay, I'll come pick them up and we'll fold them. No, no, we're almost done. We'll have them for you tomorrow. Tomorrow. Where's our flyers? Um, I don't know. Let me take a look and call you back. Next day I call them. Where's our flyers? 
We don't know where they are. We're going to have to remake them. Okay, this is enough, I say. If you don't have our flyers printed and folded into us within three days, you can cancel the order. This is after about five or six weeks of excuses and lies. So they said, okay, where's our flyers? Um, you should probably just cancel it. We're, we're not going to be able to make them. <laughs> Man, you talk about somebody's head going through the roof. I was mad. So I wrote this nasty article about it and how bad they were, unprofessional, how many times they lied and had Jamie plastered all over Facebook. So that was the only print shop in town. I hope they go out of business because I despise them. So we now have to outsource the printing to a shop in Revis, 45 minutes away. Now they've had them for about three weeks and twice they've pushed back their deadline. There's only one more print shop in Revis. So if we go through these guys and we go through the next guys, we're going to be Monagua bound to get flyers printed. So if any of you know anything about printing, you could come to San Juan del Sur tomorrow and open up a print shop and probably break the bank. One of the questions that I get asked most frequently is, what's your daily routine? Or what do you do all day? Or what do you do all day? You know, however you ask the question, it can mean different things. What do you do all day? Or, so what do you do all day? It means two different things, but I get both of them. It's pretty funny. So my typical day, and when I say typical, the most frequent day that I have is about what I'm going to explain. But that only happens maybe three or four days a week because the other three or four days a week, I've got other stuff to do and it throws off my schedule entirely. But the most common schedule is as follows. Typically, I go to bed around 2 or 3 a.m. And then I'll wake up around 8, 8.30. So I get up, take the dogs out, cook a little breakfast or sometimes a big breakfast, eat it, listen to some talk radio, read some news. And sometimes I'll check the email and return some simple ones. But if they're long and in-depth and boring, then they get waited on. So about 10.30 or 11 is when I go to the gym. After that, I'll do any errand running I have to do in town. Uh, some haircut, dog food, groceries, whatever it is. Then I'll typically go by Zach's house for an hour or two just to catch up, talk about work stuff, uh, look at the schedule, what we have coming up, and shoot the breeze. Then I'll come back home. It's normally by around 2 o'clock, 2.30 at this time. If I had a big breakfast, I'll have just some fruit or sometimes a smoothie for lunch. And then if I had a little breakfast... Then I'll have a decent-sized lunch. But nothing big. It's so hot. It's, it's hard to eat much in the middle of the day here because it's so hot. So from like 3 to 5.30 is avoid the sun time. I've got a porch on the back of my house, and it shades everything until about 2.30 or 3 o'clock. And when that sun breaks below the eave of the porch, you got to run and hide like a vampire. So that's normally when I go to my room. I'll sometimes turn the AC, return the complicated, boring emails, check on some new emails, do anything online banking or whatever I got to do. And then about 5.30, I typically take the dogs to the beach, play fetch till it's dark, and then stop on the way home, grab some food to cook for dinner, and then cook dinner and repeat. So that's a typical day. And about half of those typical days, I actually would meet friends for drinks sometime between the hours of like 5 and 7. And a lot of those times, I end up staying out having drinks until late. And it's always an accident. You always look up and you think to yourself, man, how did it get to be one o'clock in the morning? I got to go. 
So I asked for some feedback about whether or not people wanted to continue these dog stories over the course of my life. And about three people said, keep them going, which is more than anyone who said, don't keep them going. So I'll keep going for a while and I may ask for some more feedback later. So this particular story, uh, Tyler, my cousin reminded me of when he, he lived with me after I finished building my house in Conroe and he had a dog that's a sibling to one of my dogs. But anyway, my older dog, Bentley, who's now about eight at the time she was about four. She's always loved ducks. She's loved to duck hunt anything to do with ducks. She loves to chase them. And so there was a, a pond on the piece of property that adjoined mine. And it was an old abandoned boarding school. So they had these park ducks, big, white, big, big ducks that just hung around in the pond and, you know, no one needed to feed them. They were just resident ducks. Well, one day I was riding my four-wheeler back there and Bentley was on the back of the four-wheeler and she saw those big white ducks and jumped off the four-wheeler and took off running for them. And I called her back. I said, no, come here. So she came back, got back in the four-wheeler. I went home. Well, the next day, I think it was a Saturday, Tyler and I were doing something outside, messing around the shop. And I look around and there's no Bentley. And I said, man, she wandered off. So I start calling her and calling her and calling her. She's not coming. I'm like, well, she'll be back shortly. And if she doesn't, then I'll go on the four-wheeler and look for her. So I kind of go back to what I was doing. And then I look up outside and I see her running towards me. But there's this big white thing in her mouth. And she gets about halfway to me. And I think, oh, no, she's got one of those park ducks. So she went to the neighbor's property, which luckily no one lived there, but it was probably between my house and that pond, it was probably a good three quarters of a mile. And so she went all the way over there on her own, chased down a duck and brought it all the way back to me. And there is no possible way that I could scold that dog for bringing back a live duck because that's in their DNA. That's something that in their little dog head is wired in there telling them, go get the duck. Go get the duck, get the duck, catch the duck, bring the duck. And so that's what they do. And like Bronco, he's not wired nearly that stiff. Like he doesn't care as much about it. But her little dog brain tells her to go get a duck and bring it back. And I think that is hilarious. So I was real proud of her. And I even have a picture of her sitting there holding the duck. And the duck is so big that she's holding the body in her mouth. And the duck's head is like touching the ground. It was a big duck, the size of a goose. My mom's currently in town visiting and so this is her second time to Nicaragua, and she likes it here quite a bit. And so it's been fun having her down here. She's only been here for a couple of days. We've been hanging out. And yesterday, she and Jamie secretly collaborated and set up a surprise birthday party for me at the brew pub here in town. So it was fun. But the funniest part of the whole deal was how Jamie set this whole thing up. So it was this long, complicated story, but I'll get to the gist of it. I was supposed to swing by and pick up Jamie and another one of our friends, Jessica, at the brewery to take them to some other restaurant where we supposedly had reservations. Well, obviously, every, all of my friends were already waiting for me at the brewery, and the street was completely packed with people. There was nowhere to park. I couldn't stop, and I thought I was just pulling in front to, to get Jamie and take her with us to go to the next place. So I pull up, and I stop. I'm trying to look in there and see who else in there. I can't see anybody, but I see Jerry walk out. And I go, hey, Jerry, um, is Jamie in there? And he goes, Yeah, she was here 15 minutes ago, but she left. And so I start to get mad because I'm out of minutes on my phone. Jamie's out of minutes on her phone. We have no, I have no way to call her. I don't know where this restaurant is or I would have gone there myself. 
So she orchestrated that whole deal just to get me pissed off. Like, cause she knows what makes me a little grumpy. And so she put all the elements there in place, gets me all grumpy. Then Zach runs out to my truck. He's like, man, just come inside for a second. Have one drink, calm down a little bit. And they go, all right, man, but Jamie's about to get it talking to. And I walk in there and everyone's like, surprise. So it was a good time. Lots of food, lots of drink. But what was funniest to me was how Jamie knew exactly what would get me all mad and then surprise me. And I think that's how you can tell how someone has a good sense of humor. Because not only do they have the element of the surprise, but they add the element of being pissed off, which makes the surprise even better. And for anybody who's a new listener to this podcast, Jamie works for us at Nika Sail and Surf. She is the receptionist slash scheduler slash social media guru slash capitana extraordinaire, which means female captain. So she's done really well, worked her way up, and knows Zach and I very well. I'd venture to say that there's probably no one else down here besides Zach that knows me as well as Jamie does. And she has got me figured out to the T. She knows when to avoid me at certain times. And she knows when she can joke with me at certain times. And so I admire her because there's not many people that have like gotten to know me or figured me out as fast as she has. And it's been pretty fun. Thanks for all your hard work, Jamie. You're great. All right. I think that's going to wrap up today's program. I know there was lots of talking about cuidadors and pigs, but that's been a big chunk of my life over the last week and a half. So the next show, I plan on getting my mom on here, and I hope she will agree to it. So if you know my mom and you hear this and you know she's still here, you should send her an email telling her that she should be on the podcast. I think she will. Okay, that's it. I promise. Thanks for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Check out our website, nikasaleandsurf.com. And come visit San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a great place. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Said I know that it's somebody's birthday tonight somewhere. And I know somebody's gonna celebrate tonight somewhere. I know one thing's for sure. Gonna put on my dancing shoes And I'ma hit the door And go out and step the whole night through Stop in the name of love I'm gonna Stop in the name of love Then I'm gonna Stop in the name of love Oh yeah Stop in the name of love I'm gonna step in the name of love Stop in the name of love In the name of love Champagne. Some.